Welcome to the Thatch Education Podcast. I'm happy to be back with you. This week, again, we've got more of your questions I'm going to be answering, so I'm going to dive right in. But of course, if you have any questions for me, you know I'd love to answer them. So please do me a favour, send all of your questions to thad at thadducation.com or simply DM me on Instagram or hit me up on Facebook, whatever suits you. I'm always around and I'd love to help answer your questions. So without further ado, let's get into some of your questions. First one up, how do I stay connected with my peers? So I think with this one, what we're talking about here is, you know, if you are looking to sort of go into freelance or you're looking to work on your own, how do I stay connected with people and kind of not get lost in the work? Now, I think that it's one of those things just to sort of step back with all these things and kind of have a look at the situation. So for me, I think it's really easy to stay connected. Social media is very good at that. And, you know, it's, it's never been easier, to be honest, to actually stay connected with people we know. Um, the question you probably have to ask yourself is, who do I want to stay connected to? And why is that important? And the reason why I mention it is because, you know, you, when you're saying the question, your peers, quite often I've found that when I say my peers, it's kind of people I've been sort of grouped together with. So by that, I mean, if I went to university, it'd be people in the same class as me. Or if I worked at an agency, it'd be people I work with. And peers are quite often sort of people that you have to work with perhaps not necessarily people you would choose to work with so the reason why i mention that is i think it's going to be important to kind of establish who your peers are and whether your peers are people that you you know want to actually stay connected with the reason being is there's a couple of things first if you stay connected to the wrong kind of people then i i genuinely believe that this can have a negative effect on kind of how we feel about ourselves and how we get on with our career i know that I personally in the past have really suffered from sort of compare and despair. And look, don't get me wrong, I know that, yeah, it's not real and it's always highlights on Instagram, but it doesn't stop my kind of like inner thoughts of my sort of lizard brain, I suppose, from assuming whatever I'm looking at is absolutely true and it's not fake and wow, they're doing so well. And I think that that, combined with people who are, you know, just generally maybe pessimistic or kind of always need sort of um, pumping up, these people drain our energy. So it might not be their fault. You, you might look at someone and, and they might just be a really nice person who's doing really well. But if that's affecting you, then I would say that that's someone to kind of not spend time with. The same as, you know, we don't want to spend time with people who are negative, who are pessimistic and who are draining our energy. So when we're selecting this, it's important to make sure that we're not just choosing people just by association, but we're being deliberate in how we curate that kind of choice you know how we create our feed effectively of who we want to stay in touch with so choosing rather than sort of you know the point being you can choose from a bigger group than you've possibly been given because now you've got more opportunity and actually it's a global kind of space and you can connect with people anyone you like really and this can even be well probably not dead you can read books and kind of get the impression of what would people do, but but certainly it doesn't have to be people you know. So now you get a chance to kind of actually form a kind of, in speech marks, a peer group around, you know, a group of people who are going to inspire you. And it's and I'll say that there are two ways of doing this. The first one would be kind of like the kind of who would you invite to a dinner party type answer to that question. And you might go, well, I want to kind of invite... Uh, 
really inspirational people so i want to invite you know gary v and the pope and cristiano ronaldo and whatever it is and you know maya jammer and whoever maybe not i mean maya angelou but maya jammer if you like her as well but the point being is you could then do that side of things where you're choosing to follow people who inspire you like the rock or whoever um but more importantly i think sometimes there's that opportunity to pick people who are at a similar stage in their career as us and you can almost talent spot and you can form connections with people who are, you know, they're going to motivate you, but also they're going to inspire you to keep pushing. So I know that when Mr. Beast was very, very early on in his career, he was obsessed with kind of working out what was ranking on YouTube and how to get more likes, more engagement, increased view time, that kind of thing. And he wasn't alone. There was a group of them. Uh, friends you know who had met within that kind of community who also felt the same and I think he said they would have like daily conversations and chats about what they were doing that was working and what wasn't working and what this meant was they were all helping each other to learn and improve so for me that's a really good way of forming a peer group that's going to support you encourage you provide that accountability and, and make you better the other way of doing this is if you're picking talented people as they sort of improve and rise up the ranks of their industry, because you're friends with them, your network is enhanced by their success and in turn, their network is enhanced by your success. So it makes sense to kind of spot and objectively look for people who you think, look, that that guy's talented, she's really smart, um, she's going places, I need to probably maybe connect with her. And I think that is also useful because, as I said, if you went to uni or you shared a, a locker with Mark Zuckerberg and you became friends, it's much easier for you to reach him now, probably because you can hit him up on WhatsApp, um, providing you've stayed in touch, of course, than trying to get through all his gatekeepers and being constantly ignored. So this is where we're trying to look at not only to find people who inspire us, but perhaps even talent spot people who we think could be successful in the future. And we want to be around them because people who are going to be successful are going to be inspiring in themselves. Now, with my final point, which is the whole thing of inspiration, I would say that perhaps don't focus all of your attention on who you want to connect with and think about you. You know, are you someone that other people would want to connect with? Are you worth following? Do you inspire other people? If you don't, I mean, not many of us do, but if you don't, then that's something for you to work on. You can go, okay, how can I change what I'm doing to inspire others to reach out to me? So actually, if I improve myself, then there's a greater chance of me being able to connect with other people because by my very nature, I'm a valuable connection. So the question is always going to be, first of all, spend time focusing on yourself and making yourself worth connecting and following with. And then cherry pick a group of people that you can stay around who are talented, who are going to inspire you, but also who are going to hold you accountable. And together, you're going to all sort of push each other. And this is exactly what in business you would call a mastermind group. And it's a group of business people who will go on a kind of quarterly retreat, swap ideas, help solve problems. And they're all successful in their business. And they the reason why they join this group is the connections, the you know to relate to people who are going through similar problems as them. But also, it's to help themselves get better quicker so if you can do that and form your own kind of mini mastermind early on that's where you strike a balance of being connected so you stay social but you're also connected to people who are going to inspire you rather than kind of drag you down and, and make you feel crap about yourself 
how do I handle sick days is the next question. Well, I think it depends if you're working for yourself, you're working with other people, but generally being honest with those around you. That's It's so important to kind of tell people how you're feeling so they can kind of plan and prepare as much as possible for your absence. So that's the, always the first thing. Be really respectful of the people you work with. If you feel that this is something which might be happening or um, you can sense a sickness coming on, it's definitely worth letting people know out of respect. But also the whole reason people get annoyed is that they don't have time to prepare. So if you give them that time back, by being respectful and actually saying, look, I'm feeling really rough. I, you know, I just want to get let you know there's a good chance that in the next to tomorrow or the day after, if this doesn't improve, I won't be able to do the work. Then that's the first thing. You know, be honest, be respectful, be helpful. Um, if you know of anyone who can take your place and kind of cover the workload, that's also really important. So having a list of people to take over from you is also really good. Now, um, the second bit is if you are ill, it's okay to be ill. It's important to give yourself the permission to be ill and to kind of not feel like you need to get back to work straight away. And sometimes the best thing you can do when you're ill is just kind of rest, let the body heal itself and give it time. Now, while this is happening, um, you're going to need to kind of eat well, obviously get plenty of rest, drink plenty of fluids if it's a general kind of cold. Um, anything more serious clearly go to the doctor but the point being is this is a chance for you to kind of educate yourself on improving your self-care so when you get better you can be maintaining a lifestyle which is going to mitigate the chance of you becoming ill again now this is you know a lot of this will come down to kind of rest certainly getting sleep is really important um, but also you know doing things like exercise what you eat um, all these factors all contribute to your immune system and feeling good about yourself so it's definitely worth considering uh you know for me i'm always a big fan of sort of afternoon naps i'm a big fan of kind of well not i'm not really a fan of going to the gym but i do go to the gym nearly every day or i try and do some sort of run or long walk every day and it certainly lifts my mood it's one of those ones that i hate going but i feel great when i've gone uh, and all of this is boosting my natural endorphins and I try and have a few vitamins as well. I know certainly because of um, the wretched pandemic, I've certainly looked at kind of supplementing my diet with vitamins so that I can be as healthy as possible. And what this does, it means I don't often get that ill. And if I do, I can recover quickly. So it's important that we kind of educate ourselves on what would be, I guess, best practice on staying healthy so that this doesn't happen again. Now, the overall thing, and there's a two points here. The first one is going to be, um, why did you get sick? So for that, you know, you're going to have to say, well, what, what's been happening? Um, what bad decisions have been made or have you been making that have contributed to your sickness? This might be you might have had dodgy shellfish and you've got food poisoning. It might be that you haven't been getting enough sleep and you'll let yourself get run down. There's usually some sort of cause of uh, mild illnesses. And if we can try and understand why it's happening to us, then we can make sure we don't let that happen in the future. So some things can't be avoided, getting colds and whatnot, but certainly you've, you can you know give yourself a chance to go, well, how could I have prevented this? And once you kind of think like that, and you can analyse and, and sort of understand what is contributing to your sickness, you can then simply ask yourself, what do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to start doing? And it's probably I need to stop working late every day I need to start going to bed at a reasonable hour I need to start 
looking at my diet. I need to stop ordering McDonald's. I need to start doing a bit of exercise. All these little things, um, they massively help. And that's where I find, again, it's kind of they're, they're, they're simple tips. But Matthew Walker is great for like tips on sleep. Uh, Andrew Huberman is great on kind of physiologically sort of tips and hacks for the body and and understanding what these people are doing and how they're sort of what they're learning for example uh, Andrew Huberman talks about if you're feeling tired um, in the in the afternoon instead of reaching for a coffee or having you know like a sugary snack he says that if you look upwards and you lift your head and look sort of toward the sky for 15 seconds it triggers something in the back of your eyes and in your brain that automatically makes you more awake I don't understand why I'm far, you know, he's far cleverer than me, but actually understanding little hacks about how your body works and things like how to put yourself to sleep quickly, like the Navy SEALs do. If you can learn all these things, it means that actually, if I feel tired, I could try that. Or maybe I need to just do like a minute worth of sort of squats or jogging on the spot, or maybe I can have a power nap in 10 minutes. All these kind of things mean that there are natural remedies to fixing problems we're having. You know, you could just find you drink more, need to drink more water. All of these things will help us rather than turning to kind of chemical stimulants um, because they just crash. So even if you have a coffee, you get the caffeine high and then the caffeine crash. If you have sugar, you get the sugar high, then the sugar crash. All these things will absolutely kind of hammer our health long term. So if we can kind of find ways of sort of fixing that early on, that's great. Now, the big thing that people often overlook when they talk about health is your business, because when you're this is the big vulnerability of a lot of us when we do our business is that when you're ill, your business shuts down. So if you can't work, you can't take on work, which means your business stops working. The ultimate thing here is to actually use this opportunity to think, okay. if this happens again, I need to be able to sort of hand over my workload to someone else. And how are you going to do that? The first thing is probably to understand how is it that you do what you do? You know, when you run a project, what are the steps that you follow in order to deliver that project? If you think of it a bit like um, Lego, you know, if I wanted to, I could be a, a build a, a fantastic Lego castle and then I want to give the Lego castle. Someone else sees that and they go, that's amazing. Can you build me one? I'm like, well, no, I'm ill. But I want someone else to be able to build it for you. So how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to think... How did I build the castle? And I'm going to make a note of the sequence that I put the bricks together. And then I'm going to write those down as, as a series of instructions. And I'm going to give the bricks and the instruction to someone else to see if they can build it without me there. Now, if they can, that means my instructions are excellent. If they're struggling, I need to improve my instructions. It's the same in your own business. You need to break down the steps that you're doing, give, write down the instructions on how to deliver them, and then give those to someone else to deliver. Now, when you're doing this, it's going to be hard at first because you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable feeling like, well, I'm I'm just giving up my business secrets. But I promise you that this is one of the biggest fundamental things you can do in your business. And people don't do it you know, soon enough. But once you've done that and you, you get used to doing that for all the projects you do, it doesn't matter if you're ill or not. You've removed yourself from the business, which means that instead of being ill and having someone else do your work, you can just have someone else do your work and you can go and do something you enjoy. Now that whereas gets exciting. So for me, the one silver lining out of this whole sick day kind of question is that is it gives you a chance to analyze exactly how your business is working, how it's running, 
and how you can do things better so you can actually actually liberate yourself from your business. So for me, that's an absolutely big thing to kind of try and consider. And I would definitely look at you and kind of go, okay, how can I improve my lifestyle? How can I educate myself? How can I build my business so it works for me so I can eliminate this problem altogether? How important is it to have a routine? Well, I think having a routine is kind of boring, but it is necessary. And there is this great quote from Jocko Willink, which says discipline equals freedom. And what he means by that is, and we'll have all had this when we've had a creative brief, when the client, you know, you might think it's an ideal situation because the client will say to you, look, whatever you want to do, I think is cool. You know, I trust you. And they don't really give you anything to go on where really what we want to know is like well what are we doing who is it for what do they want what matters to them and the more information we can get from a brief the more it can kind of inform our thinking and if the brief is fairly narrow so it might be look you can only use three colors in this design it's got to appeal to this audience it must mention this that might feel restrictive but then that restriction forces us to be much more effective and productive in this tiny little sort of gap than if we have all the freedom in the world. It almost paralyzes us. So the same thing is true of a routine. By giving a routine to yourself, you give yourself small windows of structure that you can be very productive. And this is the big thing which made a difference for me, which was you don't have to have a routine. I mean, it doesn't matter. You'll still get stuff done. But what you'll find is that without a routine not much gets done as in you can go by like maybe three to five years and you'll be like wow that went quick and you look at where you've been and what progress has been made and you'll probably be fairly underwhelmed at how little you've progressed particularly when compared to people who started out at the same time as you who've actually probably overtaken you and are getting things done now because they've been kind of slowly pounding away but with a deliberate focus of like this is what I want to achieve this is kind of my strategy I want to follow I want to be here in three years time I want to be here in five years time and and that's their goal that sort of strategic planning has helped them achieve goals and the, the only way they've been able to achieve the goals is by having a routine to stick to so for me this is the way that you actually are able to fulfill career goals, um, financial goals, personal goals, whatever it might be. Because generally as people, humans as a species, things take time to learn, to sort of get good at and kind of to, to get a return on. So it's going to take time for you to achieve anything. And you're certainly going to achieve more when you have a routine. Now, well, obviously that means that's a kind of work thing because you kind of go, look, I'm setting goals and I'm allocating time in my day to work towards those goals. That's fantastic. You know, we need to do that. But more importantly, the routine allows us to make the most of our time so that then we can actually use what's left over and block out time for what's important in our life. So you might go, do you know what? I need to make time for family. I need to make time for friends. I need to make time for me and my mental health or my physical health. I need to go to the gym. Um, I need to make time for development. I need to kind of, you know, feel that I'm learning and improving and all these things. But what happens is without a routine, our work just kind of bleeds out and just eats up the entire day. And I'll give you an idea of this when we happened recently. My son is studying for his exams. And what happens is he gets up at the weekend. He's very slow to get going. Not much happens until lunchtime. He does a little bit in the afternoon. 
But if you come and see him just before bed, he will fight you quite hard for an extra half an hour to stay up to do the work. And the reason is, is because he's run out of time. And the reason he's run out of time is because he hasn't had a routine and he hasn't got anything done. Because at the beginning of the day, he's like, I've got all day to do it. I'll be fine. And slowly he's like, "Uh oh, uh oh, oh my God, I got bedtime in five minutes. Oh, I've got to get it done. What we've started doing with him is what's known as the Pomodoro technique. And this is um, the Pomodoros is an Italian, it's Italian for tomato. And it's one of those cooking timers. It's like a wind up timer that's in the shape of a tomato. And you tie, you wind it up for 25 minutes and it ticks down and then the bell goes off. So if you're cooking, that's what you'd use it for. But in the Pomodoro technique, you would do it for 25 minutes of solid sort of focus work. And then you have a five minute break and then you do another one. And the whole thing is I think you do four Pomodoros in a row and then you take a half an hour break. But now he's talking about organising his day in Pomodoros so he can get stuff done. And now he plans out his Pomodoro sessions knowing what he's going to do and actually they've bought, brought this sort of structure and routine to the day so he knows like I want to get two done before lunch I want to get another three done after lunch and maybe like two in the evening ideally but but the point being is now he's got a routine that he can stick to which is focusing his attention and he's getting more work done and so the routine thing is not by any means compulsory if we if you've got discipline you might not need it but it's that old saying of like what gets measured gets managed, which means that if you want it to get done, you have to set aside time to do it. And sometimes when you're doing things, you need to objectively analyze how is it going? Am I doing it right? Could I improve? And although we don't like that and it's nobody wants to sort of have that sort of scrutiny, it's really important because, like I said, the big picture is time will pass you by. You won't be where you want career-wise and you'll be upset and you'll be disillusioned and demotivated. But this can all be fixed by just having a simple routine and kind of, again, it will take time. So don't put the pressure on yourself of sticking to it. Like, I'm going to get up at five and I'm going to crush it and work out. And you don't need to fill your day with lots and lots of stuff. You just need to put in the important things and make sure you've allocated time to make sure they get done. And then whatever's left over around that, you can spend time on yourself, family, or whatever suits you best. So yeah, you absolutely, I would fully recommend trying to stick to a routine if you can. Start slow, but build up. You thank yourself, uh, the, the future you will thank yourself for starting this. How do I handle holidays and vacations as a freelancer? Well, it's kind of similar to my previous question, but I remember years ago, I was working for a client and we were on holiday in Thailand and I was building this website for this TV show and I found myself, because of the time zone difference, I'd be up at like two o'clock in the morning on the phone sort of or texting the client or on email. I think it was Skype those days, making updates to this website when my family was sleeping. So I was trying to whisper in the hotel room and the whole holiday was spent with me kind of trying to snatch bits of time to do work and not let my family down and not let my client down. So I wasn't really on holiday and I wasn't really working. So I wasn't doing either. And so it was a complete waste of time. And it was this whole experience of thinking, do you know, what? I sometimes I wish I'd left my laptop behind so I could have actually focused on a proper holiday. Because if you're not, you know, unwinding on that holiday, what's the point of taking it? Now, what this meant is when you're freelancing, 
effectively the amount of holiday you choose to take is up to you you know if you're if you're building your business properly you would you would decide a kind of how much time do I want to spend working in the year and how much time do I want to spend sort of not working now when I say not working you could spend that on holiday you know you don't have to do what you can do whatever you want you know holiday might be what you want to do it with but I kind of feel that the the main the first bit is you need to work out how much time you want to spend working and not working then you need to work out well what do I need to be earning so I can make sure that when I'm working I'm doing stuff that is making me that is helping me hit my financial targets because that means the time off is less pressured if you're working and you're not earning enough money then you won't want to take time off and it and it becomes this catch-22 so that's the first thing the second thing is um when you book time off maybe you don't want to be on holiday so by this i mean imagine if you were working for six months of the year and you said oh i'm going to spend three months on holiday let's say actually no maybe that's too much i'm going to spend two months on holiday six months working and then four months on self-development and experience so in those four months I'm going to take courses, I'm going to earn qualifications, and I'm going to work for free for other people who are more experienced and have got more sort of kudos and credibility than me, so I can understand what it's like to run that type of business. So if you were a chef, you might say, well, I'm going to go and work for Gordon Ramsay for a few months, learn those skills, bring them back to my restaurant, and then I'm going to develop dishes that are going to be inspired by that, that are going to allow me to kind of charge more because I've now got the credibility of working for that, for Gordon Ramsay as part of my experience. So that's how that would work. Now, what this means is that you're able to kind of make the most of those holiday times because you're getting time off, you're developing you and your business, and you're still able to earn enough from work so that every year that time spent developing is actually allowing you to charge more so your business is becoming more profitable. But as I said in the answer about illness and like how do we build a business that works without us, it's the same here. The way to get this to work is the way that I realised in Thailand, which was if I'm on holiday, I want to be able to have someone else do my work for me and you know, let, let me know how it's going, but I don't want to have to worry too much because if I can find someone else who knows to do what I do, then the client's happy, I'm happy because I'm on holiday. And yeah, I make less money, but at least I'm making some money. Whereas if I decided to go, because this was the other problem, I would say, look, I'm going on holiday for a month, so I'm not taking any new jobs. And actually you lose three months because the first month before the holiday, people don't book you because they know you're going away. Then you don't do any work when you're away. And when you come back, you haven't been working for two months at all, like marketing and momentum is lost. So that and that final third month after you're back is spent re-energizing your network, letting people know you're back, trying to book work again. So that one holiday actually knocks out three times as much. The key again, it, like I said, is if you go on holiday and you want to get a Big Mac, you can get them from anywhere in the world. And the reason you can do that is because the Big Mac is built through a series of steps. And if you've seen the founder with Michael Keaton, they break down how the original McDonald's brothers built the kitchen of McDonald's custom to be like a production line where everyone had a specific job and they slowly put the burger together. And it's the same in your business. You need to kind of think of your jobs as like a production line and you need to be able to outline exactly what's happening when you're doing your thing. And then you need to write down the instructions so that someone else can do it without having to ask you how. 
Now, it takes time, both emotionally as far as you're giving over your business to someone else, but then you have to kind of keep improving on those series of instructions so that eventually you have this kind of playbook of how everything works in your business. And that is how things work in McDonald's. And it's called a turnkey business because when you go to buy a McDonald's, you have to go to Hamburger University where they teach you how everything works. And there is a process for everything, which is why it's such a valuable and scalable franchise. So the same is for you. Take time to go, if I really want to be free and take holiday, I've got to do this. I've got to tell people how I do my job. I've got to then write that down as a comprehensive series of instructions. And then I've got to allow people to test it out so I can get them perfect. Once you've nailed that, now you can begin to book more time off from work, which can be split between holiday and self-development, which means that over a year, you're doing less hands-on work, more experiential work and getting qualifications and doing courses so that the following year, you go, I'm going to double all my prices because I'm worth much more now. And that's when it starts to get exciting. So as far as vacation time or holiday time, it's up to you how much you take off. But I think that you're going to find it a lot easier to take more time off if you've already set up how to do your business and given that to someone else, then you don't have that headache or worry. So do that first, then decide how much time you went off and then split that time between genuine breaks and self-development. And finally, how do I know what freelancing advice is good or bad? Um, unfortunately, the only answer to this is you have to apply the advice and see how you get on. I mean, it's maybe that's a bit too simplistic. I think um, the trouble with advice is, the one, the person who's giving it, are they reliable? So I would always look at their track record and kind of go, have they been successful? Have they got social proof to back up what they're saying? Uh, if they have, then that's always a good thing because nowadays everyone is an expert because we're all told, share what you know. The problem with that is that you can easily get fooled by see people who are novices, who don't have much experience, but are very good at kind of repeating what they've read in books and courses to give the illusion of sort of years of experience. So that's always a, a concern. It's a bit like... Well, it's a bit like taking advice from a life coach who's 18. It It's probably not wise because they haven't had much of a life yet. So the first thing is to weigh up who's giving the advice. Do I think they're reliable enough to trust? If I do, then I have to apply the advice and see how I get on. And the sad thing is, because you're applying someone else's advice, you're applying it with no context. So I could teach you and say... This is how you should price your services. Uh, this is how you handle low ball offers. This is how you can get the budget out of a client in under three minutes, whatever it would be. I, You can repeat what I'm doing, but because you've missed all the context and the experience of doing it, um, it's not that straightforward. And I saw this in football coaching because I knew what the player should do in that situation. And there is always a kind of, you need to do A, B and C. But in the reality of the real world, whatever you've prepared in training is never really replicated in a match. And under match conditions and pressure, you're expecting them to sort of behave like a robot and actually for all the other players around them to just allow them to do it. It's not realistic. So you have to apply the advice without context to gain the context and experience and the understanding of what works for you. Because if it is sales, for argument's sake, and dealing with clients, 
someone who's very confident and very good at that and has got experience is not intimidated by objections but if you're quite introverted and you're starting out or you've not had many client conversations you might find that you know you take an objection incredibly personally and it kills your confidence so what the, the advantage is you apply the advice you'll find out if it's good or bad when you apply it but at least you're able now to combine the advice with your own experience and then that's what you're going to benefit from so it's it's not that the advice is bad it's just that you need to have experience and context to properly understand how best to use it so for me um, this is the same thing as you can read a book you can do a course but unless you're going to apply the information it's not going to work and probably the closest thing would be it's like following a recipe if you're not a cook as long as you follow the recipe it should work out right but if we get that recipe to five different people each dish would be slightly different. Now that is just human error, but also an expert who's been cooking for ages can taste the food and they can fix it because they know what's wrong. Someone who's done it for the first time just following a recipe, they don't know what's wrong yet. So therefore they're going to have to cook it several times. They're going to have to make mistakes and then learn how to fix them. And then ultimately they're going to take that recipe and they're going to adjust it to suit what they like in the flavor of the dish. And they're going to then have to then be able to cook it without even a recipe. So now they've taken the advice or the recipe or the knowledge. They've applied it, learned from it, gained the experience and the context. So now they have achieved mastery over that one dish. And they could, in theory, advise someone else, but the same pattern repeats. So when it comes to advice, test the credibility of who is giving the advice. Apply the advice, expecting it to not quite work out as promised. But understand that this is just a learning curve and what you're doing, which is really valuable, is you're actually bothering to apply something. Too many of us, and particularly I'm terrible at this, is we read things and we save them on Instagram and we make bookmarks and audio books and we write stuff down in pads, but we don't do anything about it. I don't know why, but deep down it's probably because we know that we're going to get it wrong. And the reason why you pay an expert to do something is because they've gone through the trial and error and they know how to fix something that's going wrong versus we don't know yet. So we just have to keep failing until we work it out, which is often a slow, painful, expensive process. But if you go into this knowing that, well, I'm going to apply advice, get it wrong, then that's fine. But the good thing is you can apply the advice and then when it goes wrong, go back to the person who recommended it and ask them what you were doing wrong. Quite often they can say, oh, no, no, if you just do this instead of this, and then it unlocks itself and it appears really easy. So like I said, if you're going to get advice and apply it, which is the whole point, expect failure, but mitigate that failure by choosing to take the advice of someone who's got credibility and who you respect, not one of these internet guru fools who are very good at giving that kind of persona of knowing what they're talking about, where really they're just parroting the ideas of someone else. Anyway, so that's it for that today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed that. I, like I said, I really enjoy the Q&As. I'm always happy to help. As I said in the beginning, it's really important to me that I can give you the tools and the information and the, and the advice, ironically, to be successful. Um, and I want to help you in your freelance journey so you can be earning more, doing great work that you're proud of and actually working with clients who inspire you. So if you want any help at all, please send an email to thad at thadeducation.com. DM me on Instagram. Join the Facebook group. Like I said, I'm here to help you. So all I can do is wish you a fantastic day. Good luck with what you're doing. Keep going. And I'll speak to you soon.